Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue reading the Psalms with Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Jerusalem, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. It's a tough ending for the text, but we'll come back to that. This song is about the exile. The Israelites, the Jews, God's people, who are living in Jerusalem and in all Judea around it, because of their rebellion, their sinfulness against God, their idolatry, the Lord brought Babylon to the doorstep. The Lord used King Nebuchadnezzar to tear down the city walls, to tear down even the temple, the house of God himself. He allowed them to be carried off into exile to this land to the distant east. And so there they sat by the waters of Babylon. That could include, for example, rivers like the Tigris and the Euphrates, Maybe a reference to the seas or lakes or so forth as well. They sat and wept. 587 B.C. is when it begins. 538 B.C. is when they're set free, sent home, allowed to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But for now they grieve. They grieve as they remember Zion. Again, Jerusalem, another name for it. And so verse 2, they're hanging their lyres, as a small harp, in the trees. Now, I didn't find much of note on that idea as I, I looked at this text, but I could see it going one of a couple of ways. The one is, as they're just hanging out down by the waters, weeping, instead of having their lyres in hand, which uh, it's an instrument you could easily hold on your lap, and playing and singing as they sit by the water, they have hung them up in the trees. They look again like miniature harps. Harps are ones that are big enough that they have to sit on the floor while you sit beside them or stand by them. The lyre is smaller and can be held. So it's strung up in a tree. The other possibility here almost seems like maybe they're hiding the lyres. As their captors are trying to force them to sing, they are 
hiding their instruments so as to try to make the excuse that they can't. Not sure which way for sure to take it. But they don't want to sing songs of joy, and their captors are seeking to force them to. The Babylonians want them to sing. They want to hear the songs of Zion. Even though they've captured, even though they've overcome, even though they think that they are a better culture and have a better God than the one that they just defeated, they still seek to learn something of this foreign culture to their own. They want to learn more about the Jewish song. But as the text continues, the Jews are rightly asking, how shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? I say rightly in terms of their own context and the way they see things, but it's not actually right. And this is a family conversation point, verse 4. Where is God's kingdom? And this is what Jesus Christ begins to teach us as he responds to Pontius Pilate on Good Friday. My kingdom is not of this world. And we learn from the New Testament that we are citizens of heaven. That we are exiles, we are strangers here in this place. The land in which you live, that is not your kingdom. We're people of God. And his citizens, his servants, are scattered throughout this world. So can you sing God's song in a foreign land? If you couldn't, you would never sing again. Or at least not until you reach paradise. Yes, we can sing God's song in a foreign land. And we do, often. And we sing it, in part, a few reasons, actually. Praising God simply deserves to be sung. God deserves to be praised because he is so wonderful. He has done all great things. Secondly, we sing songs to build each other up. We can see that Colossians 3.16, for example. As the church, singing together, we are encouraging one another. Third, so that our neighbors hear. I do encourage you, if you have the chance on a nice spring or fall day, uh, sing outside. Have your family devotion outside on, on the porch or the deck or by the swings or wherever, under a tree, in a tree, on a trampoline. Have your devotion outside together. Sing together. Let your neighbors hear your song. Let them hear your joy. And if you're in your house, open the windows. If it's a nice day, let your neighbors hear your joy. Let them hear you sing. They might just ask you about it. Hey, you guys sounded great the other day. What were you singing? We were singing about Christ's love for us. Oh. Plant a seed. Who knows? Anyway, can they sing in a foreign land? They sure can. But what are, what are they getting at? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. My tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. Why? What makes Jerusalem so great? Family conversation, question for the kids. God. It was the place of his temple, the place of his house, the place where he promised to dwell with them, to speak to them, to forgive them, and it's been taken away. They are grieving. They are repenting. 
They are recognizing that they have caused this destruction upon themselves and they're longing to be reunited with the Lord. This is good. Even if it's not necessarily true, as we just discussed with verse 4, yes, they can still sin. But if they were to forget Jerusalem, if they were to forget God, then this is an apt prayer. Let my right hand forget its skill. In other words, its ability to play the lyre. May it never play again. May my tongue never sing again. That's the point of the next one. If it's sticking to the roof of your mouth, you're not going to sound, make good sounds. It'd be hard to make a sound at all. That's one that your kids might enjoy doing, just as an illustration example, right? Tell them to press the tongue up against the top of their mouth and try and talk. Do that together. That could be entertaining. Anyway, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, whatever we think is good in this world, whatever we think is great or pleasurable in this world, God is better. God is more. Remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. Now we turn into this being not just a, a psalm of their repentance and their grief, but now it's a song we call an imprecatory psalm. I-M-P-R-E-C-C-A-T-O-R-Y, imprecatory, prayed against an enemy. The Edomites are mentioned, and there's an entire book in the Old Testament about that. It's one chapter long. The minor prophet Obadiah records God's judgment against the Edomites because they rejoiced at seeing the destruction of Jerusalem. So this psalm picks up on that, that they wanted to see Jerusalem destroyed, lay it bare, let it be destroyed to the ground. But not only the Edomites, daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Daughter of Babylon seems to simply be a reference to Babylon, recognizing that that kingdom will not forever stand, thus, thus doomed to be destroyed. And so the prayer here is that God would destroy them. Yahweh should repay them for what they've done to God's people. And the Lord will use Cyrus to begin that process, although it continues even generations later. Because the Babylonians, they're not conquered by Persia so much as they are just taken and then destroyed over time as the Babylonian groups of people continue to fight against the Persians and so forth. So a prayer against the Edomites, a prayer against the Babylonians, and now the final phrase, which again is a difficult one to pray. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. What makes this difficult for us to pray? is that in American culture over a long period of time, even the church has come under the impression that children are good. A lot of Christian churches teach that children aren't even responsible for sin or maybe don't sin until they reach a certain age. They're innocent. The Lutheran faith doesn't believe that at all. We believe that we are all sinners from the moment we're conceived. And as such, then, we can say something like this rightly because all of us deserve that. We all deserve God's judgment. 
It is his mercy and his grace to spare us from it. But the purpose of this particular line in this prayer is that it displays the elimination of the enemy. If the Lord judges them so thoroughly that their children are killed, then that people's gone. They cannot harm us again. And in part, this is the Christian's prayer. We do pray for an end to evil. We do pray for an end to our suffering. And when we come into paradise, those enemies who sought to tear us down, those enemies who sought to tear us away from Christ, they will not come there. They will be cast out into the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, even the little ones. Children are not an exception. They also are responsible for their sins. They also have rebelled against God. And so we can rightly pray such an imprecatory psalm, just as we can rightly pray for the Lord to bring those same peoples to repent. Christian prays both. We seek that our enemy would repent. We love our enemy. We pray for those who persecute us. But if they harden their heart and refuse to repent, then we pray for the Lord to judge the enemies of his bride, the ones seeking to kill his bride, his church.